Do you want to have impact and purpose without disrupting your life or leaving your day job? Podcasting may be the perfect fit for you, your experience, and your voice. Sign up for my upcoming free course where you will learn how to start podcasting using your unique voice, create a platform in four weeks, get access to resources, and more. Go to www.disruptingbalance.com slash podu. That's P-O-D-U to sign up now. If we really took time to look at what we did in a day, we'd find that we have time for things that are critical, like our health needs, like time to really focus on that one-on-one quality time with those people that matter in our lives, like that time to really connect to God and pray. You're listening to Disrupting Balance, the podcast, where we are busting myths and breaking balance. Here's stories from women who are pushing boundaries to navigate the decisions and changes that come with work, womanhood, and winning. I'm your host, Hanifa Barnes, speaker, decision strategist, and master imbalancepreneur. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Hope you enjoy. Robin Walton is a powerhouse higher education executive, award-winning community leader, and active board member with several organizations. And with all that, the wife and mother of two brings a calming energy to the spaces she inhabits as she relies heavily on her faith and self-reflection to guide her and lead her in all aspects of her life. It was her faith and family that kept her when she lost her father while in undergrad and her mother four years ago. If loss has taught her anything, it is that a legacy in family, love, hope, hard work, and faith matters more than anything else. In this episode, Robin opens up about a recent breakdown, her tools to maintain peace of mind with herself, children, and husband in a COVID environment, and her rich family history that is the source of her strength and the guiding force of her legacy. You can find Robin on Instagram and Twitter at rwaltonnj. That's R-W-A-L-T-O-N-N-J. And for more information on Robin, her work with Thomas Edison State University, and additional places to follow, check the show notes. So hello, Robin. Welcome to the show. I am so glad to have you here. How are you doing? I am doing well in spite of the rain and the conditions that we are um, living in the midst of right now. I am doing very well and I'm grateful to God for it. That's good. Always good. So we're going to jump right in with the first question, which is what is your story? Well, first, let me say that um, I'm, I'm so grateful to be on the show with you today. I am so proud of you for your journey and the work that you're doing and telling the stories of many women. And I am just proud to be a part of it. But what is my story? My story. My story is the story of one about a child of God with a constant strive to keep him first in my life. My story is one of strength, one of extreme loss, but greater gain, one of love, commitment, compassion. My story 
is one of constant reflection on where I have been so I know where I'm going. It's the story of 35 years of love between two parents who shaped who I am today. My story is one about a Black woman who is a proud mother of two boys that she prayed for, right, planned for, and always wanted. My story is one about the companionship and love that my spouse and I have for each other. It's a story of advocacy. And it's an, a, story of, a story of encouragement of self and others. My story is one of success because I am always enough. So in thinking about that beautifully crafted and stated story, what chapter of that story do you find yourself in right now? And what are the challenges for you in that chapter? Let me tell you something. First of all, it might have sounded beautifully crafted, but <laughs> there are some aches and some pains and some ugly days in, in the midst of all of that, right? I because that is, that is the story of life for all of us. So, so let me say that, that in the midst of all of that, right? And I think at some point I said that, great loss, but greater gain and, and all of that strength and keeping God at the core of who I am is because, right, of those days where it's ugly and those days where you feel like you can't get through and those days where it seems so tough, but you can make it, right? So, so in, in, in the midst of all of that, let me, let me say that. And, and so the chapter that I'm in now it's a very interesting chapter, and I don't really know how to title it, but it is a chapter of definitely, I would say, where I am in constant self-reflection. And I haven't always been there. So this is a really important chapter for me. On Sunday, I will be 42 years old. I lost both of my parents before I was 38. And and my oldest brother. So it's just my, my my middle brother and I left and we are very close. Our parents taught us we had a very tight family unit and taught us that at the end of the day, friends come and go, people come and go, your family, your your siblings are forever. And so we have a very tight relationship. But when I think about where I am, it's I say I'm in a, a state of constant reflection right now because I'm really continually thinking about where I have been to see where I am going. And that is because I think about, as I look at my children, what do I need to do differently, right? I am raising two young Black men who one day will be fathers, who one day will be professionals, who one day will be grown men. And so it is up to my companion and I to make sure that we have equipped them. When I think about professionally, the work I do, that is so critical to the lives of so many. I work for Thomas Edison State University as the vice president for community and government affairs. So I manage advocacy, informing critical audiences, if you will, about our students' needs and, and the inst our institution and the work that we do to educate people throughout the country and, and more specifically New Jersey. And so how do I do that better? How do I make sure I'm a more effective advocate, if you will, for the students that we're serving. When I think about my own self and self-care and where I am around 
putting myself first because we know because we've all been told that you got to love yourself before you love others. And loving part of loving yourself is self-care, right? So reflecting on what am I doing and how do I do things differently to make sure that I'm all that I need to be for myself first and then for my companion, my children, and all of the many communities that I'm a part of and, and serve. Yeah. So that you talk about in that statement, the loss, but also your your family, your raising your boys, work, self-care, and all of that in that, you know, bubble, you're reflecting on all of those things. And I'm assuming sometimes at the same time, sometimes one at a time. Oh yeah. So how do you know when it's time for you to reflect, right? Because you're you're busy in your role and at home. How do you know? What is that trigger? What happens when you're like, okay, Robin, take a seat back? How does it work for you? Yeah, I think a lot of it for me has, it comes with intentionality. I um, have almost trained myself to kind of in the morning, think about what is it that I need to do today, right? What is it that my children need today? What is it that I need today? How am I feeling? You know, what is it that my spouse needs needs today? What is it that my employer needs today? And then really beginning to think about, okay, and how do I prioritize this? I am participating in this this wellness program and I was listening to a video last night where the presenter said, most of us always say we don't have enough time in a day. And their response was, if we really took time to look at what we did in a day, we'd find that we have time for things that are critical, like our health needs, right? Like time to really focus on that one-on-one quality time with those people that matter in our lives, like that time to really connect to God and pray or to read his word or that time to really take a step back from being so reactive, but think about what do I need to be doing proactively in the work that I do for my employer each day. Because we know that, right, the proactivity is what really sets us up for being able to be reactive a lot of times in the work we do, right? If that foundation isn't there by having those relationships, right, or those skills, if possible, in place, then it's really hard to be reactive. So, when, when I begin to really think about that, and again, this was just last night even, right? Because it's, for me, it is a constant, constant, constant period of growth and evolution where I was thinking, wow, that's true. There is more time that I think about. Do I need to scroll <laughs> on social media as much as I do, right? And I don't do it a lot, but even so, right? Maybe even cut back a little more. Do I need to do X, Y, and Z? as much as I did, maybe not, right? Could I get up a little earlier and think about having that quiet time for myself, right? Or more importantly, for God, right? So then when I get home and I'm tired and, you know, so I think that that's a large part of how I end up in a place where I'm constantly being, you know, reflecting, if you will, or being able to reflect where I'm starting out thinking about now, What does my day look like? What are those critical needs? What are those non-negotiables? 
And then the rest of it just kind of falls in place. And honestly, some of it is quite reactionary, but I almost feel like it can be because it matters a little less. Understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And so what was that catalyst for you that said that made you think about really reflecting on yourself or taking that step back? Was there a particular incident or moment in your life where you knew you had to start really self-reflecting, taking care of yourself and taking a step back in the morning to do this? I think there were a number of pivotal moments that led me to that. The first one is when my mother passed away. So my father passed away when I was an undergrad. My mother passed away four years ago. And when I thought about, and it was very shortly after I lost my mother, my parents, and at the end of their lives, because we did have the blessing of being able to spend final moments with with my parents, right? My brother and I. When I think about what was most critical for them in those final moments, it was of all the things they had done and they had worked hard and they had done so much for so many, right? But it was what their relationship was like with God and what their relationship was like with their children, right? And we run and we go and we go and we do and we do and we go and we go. And at the end, what matters to you? That's what mattered to my parents. And when I think about the core of my being, that's what matters to me, right? God and my immediate, my family, but my immediate family unit, right? And so I think that really looking at, whoa, I'm doing this all wrong, right? And not all wrong in the sense of, look, very doing very well in career and my husband and I doing very well in terms of a family unit and all of that. But just a lot of running and going and participating in this and volunteering here and there and everywhere and take a step back. What's happening with your relationship with God and what's happening in your family unit. And so at that moment, I recognize that everything else has to revolve around those things, right? It's those things first. And so I think that was a piece of it. But then also, and, and it's funny because out of the mouth of babes and my six-year-old, bless his heart, he he is my youngest. And you always can count on, you know, your number two to say it or do it or <laughs> whatever the case may be. And, you know, he said, he said to me, mommy, you work too much. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, and a lot of it was, it wasn't necessarily this overbearing and impossible number of deliverables from my employer because I work hard. But a lot of it was what I created at that point in time as what's what I thought success meant, right? And so it wasn't them, it was me. It was I'm running around here and there and doing this and that and, you know, at four and five events every week when it was like, you know what? I had to rethink this here. And so those are the kind of moments that if you think about it, right, as a working mom, and th- that's really a redundant phrase in my opinion, but it really was when you speak about balance, that imbalance of family versus other things, right? <laughs> and realizing that I had to get those things in sync some kind of way. So then- how do you ensure that 
what matters to you gets communicated in your external spaces because you it's not only your job, but it's your community organizations, the boards. How do you make sure that there's an understanding that certain things matter to you? Yeah, that's a great question. So someone said not too long ago in a health and wellness session, kind of like COVID wellness period um, session that I listened to, that people will treat you how you teach them to treat you. Mm -hmm. And it's true, right? So I think when you set those expectations up in the front, then people are willing to treat you based on those expectations you've set in place, right? If I say I can only be here for this amount of time, or if I say that, unfortunately, I can't commit to this because of this, but here's what I can do in a different kind of way, right? I think there are times where we have to be able to make concessions, right? But there are also times where we have to be able to say, that's just not going to work for me. Right. And we have to figure out what we're what we are willing to negotiate and what we are not willing to negotiate. I am blessed to work for an employer, Thomas Edison State University, who is very understanding of that and always has been. I've been with the university actually this year for 15 years and my um, oldest child is 12. I have two boys and my oldest is 12. My employer has always been very understanding, but I also know that there is the understanding that we work hard, right? So when that flexibility is needed there, there is that understanding because we work hard. The boards I sit on, I view in the same way. I have been blessed to be a part of organizations that have been incredibly family-centric and caring about the people that either they work with or who volunteer or sit on their boards, right? So understanding that, hey, I may not be able to be at every single meeting face-to-face if we have a meeting every month plus two subcommittees, but I may be able to call it. And there's one board in particular that I sit on that meets very early in the morning sometimes. And I found that there was the constant impasse, if you will, of the time of the meetings versus the time my children had to be to school. And for me, it was really important to see my children off to school. And so the, if you will, compromise of for this meeting in particular, I will call in because if the meeting starts at 730, but my child can't be to school till 8.30, right? Then that presents a problem. And 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 also for, I think, you know, and, and I'm sure it's the case for men, but for women in particular, really finding the courage to be able to speak up. Because I will tell you that um, a couple of years ago, I don't know if I was there, I think I would just figure it out or I would just drop my children off and then, you know, begrudgingly make my way. But again, what what you can negotiate, you do. And, and it doesn't always work out that way. And then you make it you make it happen and, you know, you make your way to the meeting. But when you can negotiate, you do. And so would you then agree then that you are allowed this flexibility and have access to it because you laid this groundwork professionally in your career with your relationships? 
because it's good for women to hear who are maybe starting out that it, it's not something that just happens overnight. So talk about how you laid that groundwork to be able to have this flexibility. Hard work. <laughs> So I think a lot of time, I mean, I, you know, you can't come in the door and like, I mean, but I, I mean, I guess you can maybe, but for in my case, so we're speaking about my story. So my story is hard work. And so, you know, really, again, I think outside of hard work beforehand, so that that foundation was already set, really sometimes the willingness to, okay. I may have meetings from or need, you know, deadlines or whatever the case may be, you know, let's say eight to three. And then my child has a doctor's appointment or I do. And then I I manage that. And then I jump back in. Right. I think in the kind of job that I'm in, in particular, because my work isn't really a nine to five kind of you know, daily duties or responsibilities. It, it really is the kind of work that happens during the day, but it happens in the evening. It happens on weekends. So the ability to then say, okay, I need to carve this time out to manage this, but then I jump back in is there for me. And that still lends itself to hard work, right? It still lends itself to jumping back in. And, and then sometimes I will tell you, I'll use yesterday as an example where, you know, I had a number of deadlines and, and, and projects I needed to manage. And then I had to go handle something. So I had to jump out to go handle something. And in the midst of the, the meeting that I was at, I said to the person, I said, yeah, so when I get back home, I got to start dinner. And so the response was, you're just starting dinner. It was like 530. You're like, you're just going to start dinner. I said, well, I've been working. And then, you know, and after that, I got to jump back into work because there are a few things I need to do. Right. But then there comes a time to jump back out of that and focus on my family and myself. And I actually created the opportunity to do all of that last night and, and then realized that I missed my time to exercise. So I stayed up a little later to get that in because I'm finding that to be so critical to my mental clarity, obviously to my physical needs, but and health needs, but to my mental clarity and in so many other areas of my life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand that completely. So let's talk a little bit about the COVID transition and your work. So you work in the higher education space. And I know for a fact that higher ed has been impacted by COVID. So I'd like to talk a little bit about the impact of COVID in relation to your particular university, but also its impact in your house as a result of all of that. I need a breath on that one. (laughs) (laughs) So let's first talk about in terms of Thomas Edison State University. So Thomas Edison State University was created in 1972 by the state of New Jersey to serve adult learners who had some some credit, but no degree, right? Some college, but no degree, if you will. And really to focus on closing that gap and has been a institution that has served a critical need for adults and military and veteran populations for many, many decades. So when 
COVID happened for us, it was an interesting kind of transition because we already do the kind of work everybody else in the higher ed space was moving to. We serve our adult student and military and veteran populations mostly at a distance, if you will, right? Through online learning, guided study, testing, and through portfolio assessment, which now we refer to as um, competency-based education, right? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what we have been doing, other institutions were walking into the space of. However, what we did see a major shift in was the needs of our students, Our students are the heads of households. Our students are the ones who are now either unemployed, laid off, right? Our students are the ones who are now in the positions that you and I are in, where we have children who are learning at home while we're working, right? But their children are learning remotely while they're working remotely while they're in school, right? Um, You want to talk about juggling responsibilities and disrupting balance. Our students are the ones who are now in a position where when you think about food security or housing security needs, they fall at the top of the list. So it really became critical for me being external affairs and, if you will, the chief person at the university that really informs our elected and appointed officials around the needs of our students, the successes of our students, and um, ensuring that the critical mission of the university stays front and center became triple fold. Because as we thought about COVID, but the CARES Act, right, and Corona Relief Funds, where do our students fall in support for that? So I found myself really almost working (laughs) around the clock, not only with ensuring that our state legislature was aware, but our members of Congress, because from a federal perspective, they were the ones who really kind of held the purse strings around the critical support for our students and their needs. But in the midst of all of that, I had children who were now at home remotely learning. And this new phase, right, of not seeing their friends, not participating in the regular activities they're a part of, whether it's at school, whether it's at church, whether it's with our family. I come from a big family of people who love each other and who spend a lot of time together. And all of that went away, right? And so managing the needs, the critical and important advocacy needs for the university, managing the critical and important needs of my family, managing the critical and important needs of myself all at the same time in the midst of, you know, everything that was happening in the country that we were all right. Like God help us all. So um, it has been a journey, but what I had to take a step back from and recognize Hanifa was that, whoa, God is so good and so sovereign. Like you are here, right? Beginning to have this pity party around all of this you have to juggle when there are people in the hospital dying, when there are people who don't have jobs, when there are people who don't have food, when there are people who don't, who don't, who don't. Perspective, get it and keep it. And 
I'm telling you, and I don't even remember what day that was, but once I got it, I kept it. And every moment I get ready to have one of those, right? Because we also deserve those moments, (laughs) but we can't get stuck in them that I have to pull myself out. I'm going to be completely vulnerable with you right now and tell you what the spring look like, what the summer look like, what the fall looks like what we're in the midst of is completely different. And right now we are in what I would think is our most organized state in my house. And we are ones of organization here <laughs> um, where everybody has their, their office or school space. And my husband and I, bless our hearts, we are a dynamic team or we like to think so. And we know who has what week and who has what lunch lady or man duty. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we're working all of that out and are grateful that we are in this together. But I had a moment that I didn't even know I was in the midst of on Monday when my youngest son's teacher, no, I'm sorry, school rather, sent a video of what happens behind the scenes with the teachers to pull together the remote instruction our children are in the midst of. And I watched that video that had to be all of probably about three minutes that really was like very encouraging and inspiring and joyful. Mm-hmm. And I had a complete breakdown. Like, I mean, like boohoo crying, like sobbing. And I was like, get yourself together. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> breathe, breathe. Yeah. yeah. And I real and I, and then I, I, in my mind, right. I'm like, I'm having like a COVID moment. <laughs> this is like the quarantine and what I'm in the midst of and what my children and my husband and my heart was bleeding for my children because parents always want the best for their children and I couldn't help but just feel so heartbroken for the fact that I couldn't fix that they can't be in school right now that they can't be with their teachers and have their normal schedule and with their friends and in Sunday school at church and running around with the children after church I couldn't I can't fix that only God can right and I had to say to myself literally had to say to myself breathe like several times breathe and go back to what's at my core, right? Trusting God. We're going to get through this. It's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. We are yet blessed. We can do this. We can juggle this. We can put aside what's not important right now. That that is definitely perspective, especially for women, professional women who are mothers, professional women who have demanding jobs. It's difficult to think that way in the moment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But you do have to take that step back and realize, okay, you can't fix everything and it's going to be okay. Right? Yeah. So when you have that moment, and for me, I call it the come to Jesus moment because I'm a bona fide fixer in my head. (laughs) When I realize realize my tools don't work for the the particular problem, man, I have breakdown after breakdown. So for you in that moment, you talk about this breakdown that you had, but in other moments, what does it look like? And then how do you continue to push past? In other moments, what does it look like? Hmm. I mean, sometimes it looks like taking a moment to cry, right? Sometimes it looks like breathing. It most often looks like praying. 
Yes, yes. It most often looks like going back to the word because God's promises never fail. What did he promise me, right? I'll never see the righteous forsaken. He is my comforter, right? He is my high tower. He is my will, right? In the midst of the will, he is all of those things to me. So reverting back to the scriptures, sometimes it looks like just hugging my husband. Sometimes it looks like hugging my children. I'm a 12 year old. So, you know, he's in that preteen awkward stage and he loves to hug me. But sometimes if I'm just like, I need that tight hug, he's like, okay, mom, like what's happening here? <laughs> um, <laughs> and we are like people who love on each other here. So, you know, it, it's always interesting where he's like, are you okay? Like what's going on? Um, so I think it happens in a, in a variety of ways. Um, but it always looks like reverting back to when you talk about the toolkit not working, what always does work is trusting in God and reverting back to his promises and prayer and taking that time to breathe. Yeah. I'm telling you, I got breath work down, girl. <laughs> I'm like, breathe, pray, you know, in the midst of whether it is anxiety around walking into a situation, walking out of a situation, not knowing how to handle a situation. Oh, yeah. All right, God, I'm going to breathe and I'm going to trust you. You're going to carry me through. You got this. You got this. Because mm -hmm. I'm walking through in your coattails, right? If you had the opportunity to have another conversation with your mother in this moment in time, how things are, the things that have happened with COVID, with heightened racial tension, with raising Black boys, with raising a Black family, being a professional Black woman, what would that conversation sound like? Okay, I'm not going to cry. <laughs> um, you know, and it's amazing you asked this question because as I was thinking about and prepping in my mind for our discussion. And I'm telling you, the way things work out are so amazing. It came to me, and I, I'm not even certain why, right? Because it, it's not even where I, I feel like when we had our initial discussion, where we were led to. But what came to my heart and my mind was how a little less than a year ago, I was you know, in the midst of my morning routine, I had a moment and, and you, as we talk about, you know, prayer and breathing and, and believing where, and I don't, I mean, I wasn't even, it, it was amazing because I wasn't even in the midst of a situation that I can remember anyway. I felt just overwhelmed. And I will tell you that and I've never had this experience before, and I have not had it since, that I felt this presence come over me. It was the, it was the strangest feeling. And it was like my mother was right there. Mm. And she said to me, I'm here with you. And I will tell you when I talk about moments crying and being vulnerable, that it was like my mother was right there, that I could feel her presence. So much so that I almost could touch her, but she wasn't there. She's with God. And I recognized that 
that was a message to me that she's living on in me. And what she's taught me, what she's given me, her and my father, how much they loved me, my husband and our children. And and I, I admired my mother so much because she was such a strong woman. She was such a loving woman. She was such a giving woman. She was my best girlfriend, my travel partner. She would go with me on work trips when my my oldest son was a baby and she had retired and she would keep him while I would work. And then we would meet in the evening for dinner if I didn't have a dinner engagement. And, um, and she was always there, just always there. We had such a close relationship. I did with both of my parents. My brother and I were blessed in that way. But when I think about her, I so often think about how she knew as much as she knew. There was nothing. There were very few things I could ask my mother and she didn't know from what pattern something was to who was president when to what scripture something was to what to wear to what interview to. There were very few things I could ask my mother that I felt like she didn't know. It was amazing. to me. (laughs) I'm like, how does she know all this stuff to how she raised me, but more specifically, two strong Black men who, you know, my oldest brother has passed on, but was a wonderful man who was hardworking and loving and, and so family-centered. And, and my brother, Roderick, who is, oh my goodness, he is such an amazing person. It's, it's hard to describe how amazing he is. He is a hardworking family man. He is a minister. He, he, is, he is an advocate for what's right and what's good. He's just an amazing person, right? And I, I think about that and I think, how do I make sure my boys get there? That they're their own people, right? But that they get there. How do I keep my head above water? How do I keep exhaustion away and extreme disappointment when I look around and I see what is happening to black and brown people when I am so often the only in the room? And how do I handle all of that? How did you handle all of that? How did you make it look so easy? Because as I'm in the midst of it, It might sound easy, but it's not. But when I think about my parents and all they did, it never looked hard. It never looked hard. And I'm certain it had to be. That's so true. I'm certain. I mean, you know, children of the 50s, right? And (laughs) Black and my mom getting her job that she was in for over 35 years through the NAACP reaching her friend who worked for the NAACP saying, hey, come and test for this job. And my father, who, when my parents were first starting out as young people who were high school sweethearts, and he went to Vietnam and then came back and he was in Japan stationed there and their love was never lost. You know, my mother, who was a foster child, reunited later in life, her and her sister with their mother and the incredible story of my grandmother. But all of that then leading to their love and their growth 
of having nothing, right? I mean, I can remember being a child and my father riding his bicycle to work until then he got a, you know, a little used car and then another car. And then we had, you know, another car and how I never knew anything but a middle-class black family who loved each other and worked hard and loved God and built together. How did they make all of that look so easy? That's what I would ask her. That's really moving. Thank you for that. I am Robin Walton, and I am disrupting balance by setting my own limits and by personally and professionally defining what success means to me. Thank you for listening to Disrupting Balance. To learn more about how I'm disrupting balance, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Disrupting Balance. You can also check out my website at www.disruptingbalance.com to get podcast updates and news from the Balance Disruptor community about how you can become your very own master in balancepreneur. Talk soon.